you were actually early uh, for the first time, or like you were ready before I was for the first time. I was early to being late. It was better than me actually just being late to being late. It's all um, good. It's all good. So, um, also, fun thing that I learned today, which will probably date anyone who listens to this and knows the knows the information. Mikhail Gorbachev died today. Yeah, I did yeah. see that, and yeah. I felt nothing. I I just you know sometimes you just you don't feel anything, but you still like mark the passing. I mean, this is the I guy. I thought he was already dead. So yeah, so did, so did I, <laughs> but the the reminder that he was alive after he was after I got the notice that he had died um, was a good reason to remember the fact that he did a Pizza Hut commercial. Mikhail Gorbachev did a Pizza Hut commercial in, in the Soviet Union. Well, now we know the title of this episode. <laughs> I would be drinking vodka in his honor if um, no. if, I, if, I, if I could actually tolerate vodka. So if you hated yourself a little more or in a different way. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's rest in peace, Gorby boy. Sorry about that, man. Um, <laughs> and also, in, it, it, it's, it's fitting also because of the, the Reagan policy of Star Wars. I'm actually wearing a, a shirt with a Star Wars font on it. So I will I will take that. Um, My shirt says I'm over it. Of course, of course. <laughs> you, were over the, you were over the Soviet Union before you were even born um yeah uh, i think it came it was when did the wall come down uh wall came down i think in 89 um but the but the union didn't collapse until a couple years after that when um uh when gorbachev actually was just kind of like yeah no like all the other states just kind of started seceding from the union like poland and hungary and places like that like places they used to keep in by force then just decided like we're, we're done with this we don't like we don't need this anymore but uh yeah. gorbachev last premier of the soviet union and then paved the way for the most comical and yet the most terrifying world leader to ever exist in history boris yeltsin um uh, and that, uh, uh, duh, duh, duh. The, re- the reason why the reason why if you ever look up if you ever really want a a kind of dreaded dreaded existential laugh Look up the videos of Boris Yeltsin dancing at Russian folk festivals, and then think about the fact that this man used to control hundreds of nuclear weapons. Like, got drunk off his ass in public and just controlled tons of nuclear weapons and badly. Like it's it's absolutely terrifying and it's absolutely hilarious. It's 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 on par with the fact that there is a nuclear warhead somewhere in North Carolina that an Air Force plane dropped that we just can't find. We just don't know where it is. It, it's, I was going to say it's about on par with the fact that they at one point did an expose where they revealed that one of the places we have nuclear bombs, the back door was held open by a pizza box because the key no longer worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. yep. Speaking of existential humorous horror, um, we're talking about a book. Yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing but blackened teeth. Um, yeah. And so, you chose this one, and so you have some feels real quick, too. I, so. I do, but first, I want you to go through, give us an overview of the plot, and tell me why you liked this story, or like so, why you thought this would be a good one to talk about. So the reason why that I that I enjoyed the story one, so a little bit of a synopsis. I'll just I'll read straight from the 
Oh, the, sorry. Um, Real quick. Hi, guys. Welcome to Dark Waters, literary podcast <laughs> focused on dark fiction. Those who love to read and write it. I'm Kirsten. That's Nathan. And we're talking about nothing but blackened teeth today. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the administrative note. Um, it always happens with book club episodes. We always just get like really, really we just into it. Keep total go off the walls. Exactly. Yes. Um, but uh, so nothing but blackened teeth is a book by Cassandra Call, I believe is how you pronounce their name. Um, and I'll just read from the, the synopsis that's within the, the, the book jacket. Um, Kat joins her old friends who are in search of the perfect wedding venue to spend the night in a high-end era manner in Japan. Trapped in webs of love, responsibility, and yesterdays, they walk into a haunted house with their hearts full of ghosts. This mansion is long abandoned, but is hungry for, news, is hungry for new guests and welcomes them all. Welcomes the demons inside of them because it is built on foundations of sacrifice and bone. Their night of food, drinks, and games quickly spirals into a nightmare as the house draws them into its embrace. For lurking in the shadows is the ghost bride with a black smile and a hungry heart. And she gets lonely down there in the dirt. So as you can guess from that synopsis, it's a, it's a, it's a ghost story that's, that takes place in an ancient manner in Japan. Um, the reason that I love this book, or enjoy this book at least, um, is that it is, it plays on Japanese folktales, which I already really enjoy personally. It plays into the tensions and problems that arise in friendships over the years, like things that happen when you are initially very close to people, but over time problems start to emerge, but you never deal with them. Or if you have, or if you try to deal with them, they'd be, they never got dealt with in a satisfactory way for everyone that's involved. And then as a result of that, it touches on the fragility of the bonds between human beings. Because the whole idea of it is that as they're going through this night where they're being haunted by legitimately a woman who was supposed to get married and upon finding out that her groom was not coming back, uh, was buried alive in the manor and is basically every single time that someone stays in the manor, someone has to die as an actual sacrifice in order to um what's the phrase it's supposed she, to be every year yeah every once year. A year there yeah. has to be a sacrifice to keep her company yeah to kind of satiate her her loneliness um because and, she swore that she would stay until he came back for her yes um which to me it that that part of the story is that kind of ghost story is something that i i have always enjoyed just kind of as a, as a traditional medium because it is something that always plays on the fact that when someone, when someone is obsessed and devoted and loves someone, that is a longing that continues after death. Sometimes it becomes toxic, it becomes malicious. There are a thousand different traditional ghost stories that play on this idea of someone is waiting for someone else and they will do whatever they can to satiate that loneliness or to retrieve their beloved back from whatever um fate befell them so i enjoyed it for that reason um that and anything that talks about how human beings can betray one another even though they said that they were friends so they cared about each other at one point or had some sort of romantic bond um i love those stories so i want to talk about this purely for that reason also just because of the fact that it was a very short novella that i finished in an afternoon 
and still it stuck with me after the fact. So I enjoyed it. I think you have some feels on it though. Oh yeah, but here's the thing. So we, I listened to this as an audiobook on my way to see you and I started it before I came to see you. And I was like, I, I listened to about five minutes of it and was like, I'm going to hate this book. And I made it through it because we'd agreed to do the story. And I was like, I, maybe I'm wrong, but no, I was completely correct. I hated this story so much to the point where I literally finished it as I was pulling into a rest stop in Virginia on my way to see you and just sat because I was like, I'm going to run the car off the road. I am so angry at every (laughs) single person in this story. So I have some thoughts. I found a couple of reviews on Goodreads that very much surmise my thoughts on it. Mm -hmm. But my thing was from the beginning, none of this book made any goddamn sense. And I'm wondering if like in this discussion, your take on it will make it make more sense to me. I'm totally open to just like, maybe it was above my head. Maybe it's above my intellectual pay grade. Like that's very plausible. Okay, so as the cover states, and this is where we're going to say spoiler alert. So if you want to read the book, stop now, listen to Nate's lovely description of everything that was good about it, and then come back after you've read it. But so it starts off with these five people. It's from the perspective of Kat. Um, And the one thing I will say about Kat is that they put in her bisexuality in a very casual, just this exists way, which I thought was very good and is the only good thing I will say about that character. So they (laughs) start off by, there's no sense like explaining where these people came from. They all met in high school but not high school but they went to college together but they didn't go to college together one of them's from malaysia they all somehow ended up in japan anyway so the trip is a first class funded trip for the wedding of two characters just pretending that they're all good friends and have been i'm going to just say for the purposes of this discussion they've all known each other since high school because that was the only thing that kind of made sense to me in terms of like the timeline so They all met in high school. The only people at this wedding are the bride, the groom, the girl that the bride hates the most, a guy who somewhat dated said girl, is in love with the bride and best friends with the groom, and then a random asshole from New York that's already married and claims he forgets who everyone else is, even though the two men were the groomsmen of his wedding, and says, I'm only here for Kat. Flew first class from New York away from his wife and child to be at a wedding of people that he quote-unquote doesn't remember, even though they were his groomsmen and he keeps saying like I don't care about them and they're like they were your groomsmen and he's like I had a baker's dozen groomsmen and I'm like what the fuck was your wedding that you had a baker anyway none of this makes any sense because if you're getting married why the fuck is the only girl there the girl that you hate if you're the bride I just can't imagine that I cannot imagine that this is the group that you purposefully chose to watch you get married and then they explain later on that 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 cat the main character is the best friend of the groom but it takes them 
over half the book to ever say that sentence. Also, the groom didn't want to get married in a haunted house, but that was apparently very important. And it's this weird combination of, at least from my perspective, and then I will kindly shut up and let you say something. um, The entire perspective of this book was or at least for me, was I didn't know what it was trying to be because it was partially this examination of relationships that aren't fully formed, aren't fully explained, aren't whatever. Like apparently Kat and the guy, Lynn, had a romantic entanglement, but she was also in a mental hospital and he couldn't handle it. So he got married and she wasn't there, but then her best friends were his groomsmen, but he doesn't remember. So he only had them there to appease cat and then she tried to break up the couple for reasons that no one that are never explained and that's why the bride hates her but the groom was still okay being friends with her and then the best friend who's in love with the bride is officiating the wedding of the girl that he loves that's not marrying him like okay like I will be clear I loved her language but her language made no sense that's how I felt about all of that in the book all right. So for me, in terms of the relationships, I will say this as a fact. You can be, okay, I will say this as a fact. I do have friends that I have been parts of their, I've been a part of their wedding. I don't talk to them anymore. Um, oh, I believe that. Yeah. I don't, exactly. No disrespect to that. It's that the guy literally said, I don't remember who they are. Multiple times. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the guy being an asshole. Um, in terms of the other relationships, like in terms of the girl, the bride, one, this is not the wedding. They're looking for the venue for a wedding. And oh no, they got, they were supposed to get married there. That was the whole point. But not, but not that night. Not that night. I thought that was the whole point was that they were getting married that weekend. That, that weekend possibly, but not that night. That whole thing was like, that was supposed to be like, that was supposed to be like the party before. Is that what you had? I got out of it that Philip was going to marry them that weekend, that that was the plan, that he was marrying them in the house that weekend because the guy was like, she always wanted to get married in a haunted house. She always wanted this. This was her dream. Like you weren't like, it took so much convincing for her to let you come to this. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. I thought that was the wedding. That was my I, take from it. I didn't take I didn't take it away that it was supposed to be the wedding. I told that they were like spending the night in a wedding venue before the wedding but that was not the actual wedding because they still had like they I, I remember maybe i'm misremembering something but i do remember them having discussions about like further guests coming along at the like at the later event because they may have like been spending the night in the manor but there was definitely talk about like later in the weekend not just like later in the weekend of other people being there not just that one night of them just spending there and then getting married in the morning or whatnot that that i don't recall at all like that it was more of they're spending the night at the wedding venue before the wedding it's not happening that night that they're supposed to be there the other thing that i will say about the relationships is that i'm not going to lay into a bunch of general dynamics with relationships between women but i do understand the idea of the bride the bride hates cat but the cat the cat has some relationship to the groom and if there is some possibility that she thinks that cat being there is going to hurt her as she sees 
as she sees her get married to someone that she loves when Kat is watching the person that she cared about officiate the wedding and knowing that Kat actually cares about the person that's officiating the wedding, that sounds like something you do to like someone you despise as a way of like sticking an emotional knife in them. It, yeah, it's convoluted, see, but I can, I can see I, it happening. I, I can I, understand I, that, but I know girls like that. I know girls like Talia. That's not what they would do. Okay. The so, whole thing is she convinced her groom that she needed to get married in a haunted house. She convinced her groom to let the guy who was in love with her officiate. She has no other female friends that are there to help her with her hair, help her with her makeup, help her with whatever. No, she's not going to manipulate the groom who she's already manipulated into being like, this is my childhood dream to get married in a haunted house. It's like putting that trauma aside. I couldn't get around the fact that either she is, and maybe she is just so hated by every girl she's ever met, which I could totally see. But no one came, no other girl was going to take a free first-class flight. It's going to be this incestuous group of friends are the only ones there. The, like, I just can't imagine her saying to the groom, I don't want her there. And the groom being like, she has to come. And that not throwing a wrench in everything. Like, that's not Talia's personality. And if it was, like, then you set ground rules or something. And, like, having to invite the person who you think is trying to undermine your wedding, because that's the whole thing, is she thinks Talia still wants um, the when? groom. Oh, she, wait, hold on a second. You, you mean she thinks, she thinks, Talia thinks that Kat still wants? Oh, yeah, she says that multiple times. She thinks that wait, Kat yeah, yeah, still yeah, yeah, yeah. wants the guy. Yeah. Whatever she wants her fiance, even though, and Kat's very clear. She's like, we dated for eight weeks when we were really young, and it would have been less time if we've had any sense of like, oh, we don't have to do this for appearances sake. We didn't like each other, and we've never wanted anything since. We're just friends. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like, I get, like, I get, I get that, that relationship I understood once they established way too late on that that was his best friend, that Kat was his best friend. I was like, I totally get that this would be something where like, you thought that you should date because everyone around you was saying you guys would be so cute together. And like, you felt the societal pressure to try and very quickly were like, oh no, this is real this is is hot no this is stupid yeah exactly that i got that i appreciated but by the sounds of it that happened like eight or so years ago and this girl still hung up on it and is okay with her being there not like okay but was convinced to let her be there like that is such a weird thing no one ever said this is a healthy relationship i i know but that was just so weird like all of that was just so fucking weird to me that I was just like, it's, it wasn't, it's not that it wasn't healthy. It was just so beyond the realm of the believable that however many years later, they still haven't figured this out. They haven't figured that relationship out in a way to be cordial with each other. And they're still having the same conversation on repeat, even though apparently those are the friends that were with Kat when she was in the rehab. Those were the friends that were with Kat when she was 
had it's very unclear what she did but she was in a facility where lynn just fucked off and those were the friends that were there for her and that you can't figure that shit out that's still drama this amount of years later because i just didn't believe it i didn't buy it no, I would, I would, I would actually buy that because the thing of it is, is that like if it's the if it's the groom that's like there with her and like help and like helping to take care of her or at least like being supportive. There's nothing in the book that indicates that he was completely open and communicative with Talia about that whole thing, like uh, during that time. So if he was still there supporting her at least in some way, shape, or form. But he's not telling Talia, but then Talia is like actually still somewhat like still suspicious of Kat. Like, and they're not actually like seeing each other on a regular basis. That way they can't hash this out and they don't want to talk about it anyway. Like, I can still see that occurring. Like if I that can... was the timeline, I would agree with you, but that doesn't sound like the timeline. It was like they dated, it sounded like they dated eight plus years ago. Mm-hmm. So like say they're 24, they dated when they were 16. Mm-hmm. Talia and this guy have been together for a very long time. Kat just got out of rehab. Mm-hmm. So they've had years to deal with that drama. And instead, Kat's fresh out of rehab. And she's like, we're going to talk about the fact that you tried to break up me and my fiance because you clearly still want him now versus like any other reason. They also never, this was the thing that really bothered me, right? If we put that discussion aside, because whatever, if they never explain why Kat had such an issue with the bride and the groom. She said that apparently like, it was mentioned a couple of times because Philip was like, the fact that you're here, like you have to be careful. You can't say anything about this relationship. Like they fought so, like he fought so hard for you to be here. I fought so hard for you to be here. The groom said, I fought so hard for you to be here. Don't say anything like that. They never explain why. Kat said, you guys shouldn't be together. I don't like this relationship. And you would think that if that is her best friend and has been her best friend for 14 something years, that that would have come up in some way, shape or form. And all you got was you weren't right for each other. And it's like, okay, give me a fucking reason. Is it because she's toxic? Cause that's viable. That seems very viable. She seems incredibly toxic. It's not because you still want him. It's not because- because you don't also all of these friends have been friends for so long and it takes them until the weekend of the wedding for Kat to realize that Philip is in love with Talia it takes until the this weekend that they're away in a foreign country that Kat realizes that he slept with her like what see that see that I didn't read as like she's just now realizing it Oh, I did because he, she saw, she was like, I saw it in his eyes. I saw this and that. And then she like talks to him and she's like, did you do that while we were together? And he's like, Kat, don't bring this up. And she's like, no, like, this is a question. Did you? And then she's like, do not let the groom find out. Like, that's a conversation they had. That is very, very, that to me, that was incredibly clear that she was just putting that together mm-hmm. and just having this discussion. Because if she knew about it and knew about it sooner, why would you have that discussion when he's been officiating, when he's like got his like pest, whatever license to officiate their wedding? Why would you say that in, like, why would you wait that long if you've known for years, if you've known for months, if you've known for whatever? That feels like a very recent new development that she's just found out. Yeah. And that just felt so unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. No, I can, 
I can see that. I'll be, so here's the thing with me is that in terms of the Byzantine, the Byzantine relationship dynamics, that was something where I was just kind of like, it wasn't, it wasn't the forefront of my mind because that wasn't what I was reading into it. It was the fact that there were, there was just so much inherent suspicion, even though they said that they were all friends. I never got it as like, they were like incredibly, incredibly close friends at that moment. They may have been at one point, but clearly some things had happened to throw some, throw some wrenches in their relationships. Right. But that's the problem is that it read like that, but it also was that those were the people, and it sounded, at least to me, and I could have misread it, it could have misheard it, whatever. It sounded like Kat had very recently gotten out of this rehab, mental health, whatever facility, whatever she was experiencing. It sounded very recent because she hadn't seen Lynn since his wedding, which is about a year or two prior. Mm-hmm. And she hadn't had any of these discussions. And it like, at some point they were like, it was very recent, whatever. Mm-hmm. But these were the people... So they're close enough that these are the only people that showed up for her when she was experiencing this. And like, it is very easy to not show up for somebody when they are in a mental health facility. If they are experiencing a hospital thing, it is very easy to just text and be like, hope you're okay and not actively be there for somebody. But whatever she was experiencing, they were actively there for her. And she's saying that to Lynn of like, I'm going to stay in sorry skipping ahead a little bit many many times during this night there are 50 billion chances for cat to run away and not be involved in any way shape or form with the horror of the ghost a she actively talks to the ghost and embraces it on multiple occasions and b lynn breaks the fourth wall on like numerous occasions and says hey this is the part in a horror movie where their minority characters get killed off. I'm Chinese and you're bisexual. We should probably fuck off. And she literally says, they were the people that were there for me when I was experiencing whatever unknown crisis, unspecified crisis, and you weren't there because you were off with your new family. So I'm going to stay in this stupid ass situation when we both know the bride's possessed by a ghost, the groom's going crazy and literally mauling his face off. And Philip's like, oh shit, I can't be too obvious that my love is like dying. Like all of that combined was just so much for my brain to handle I was like I really just want if if that book had ended with Kat dealing with the guilt of her leaving that house I would have so much more respect for this book instead it was stupid all of that was the fact that Lynn didn't leave was so stupid at that point you're just like you know what you're right you I wasn't there for you and I'm not going to be there for you right now because I haven't seen you in two years and I got a family and a baby at home peace bye like what (laughs) if your friend's not important enough you can't like talk to her when she's having a crisis but the second that there's ghosts and metaphysical and like mortal danger involved you're like no this is where i'm gonna like stake my moral high ground like fuck you that makes no sense i think guilt's journal a lot of people do a lot of stupid things and also the other thing i will say is that if cats in a mental hospital dealing with whatever unspecified crisis has gone on, whether she's tried to kill herself or whether she's rehabbed from drugs, whatnot. If she's in that bad of a situation, do you really think, because this, this is like my personal experience, do you really think that they're going to 
give her all their personal drama to also think about and process. Because I've visited people who are like in varying stages of mental health crises, whether it's like, with some degree it's postpartum, to some degree it's, oh, I just, I just got out of rehab for like name an addiction or hell, I'm even going like people who are going through chemo. You're not like, I'm not telling them my personal drama. I'm like- Agreed, agreed. But then what is the, what, what is like, what did they hide from her? I could maybe understand if that's Philip saying like, I have an issue. I think I'm still in love with Talia. Like I could maybe get that, but it's the, it's the same thing of like, Philip's apologizing to her for ghosting her from clearly years past after all of this time has passed after all he's still apologizing to her and she said like we've had this same conversation so many times I'm tired of it Mm -hmm. so however long ago that was that was when he started hooking up with Talia and that was when he like fell in love with Talia but then she was with what's his face this guy who clearly I care about so um uh, Lynn or, or which... no 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 that was the other dude um Faiz was the groom yeah. so anyway but like that's not the point the point is what would they be hiding from her there's no like other big reveal in the story it's just constant toxic bullshit of I don't know why she's there and also that's the perfect excuse right if Talia doesn't want her there because she's still hung up on this bullshit from eight years ago and she's just got out of rehab. Why not just be like, I don't think that she should travel abroad away from her therapist right now. Maybe we just leave her be and we'll celebrate with her when we get home. Perfect excuse. Instead, they're like, no, we're going to go and like, we're going to hash this out in a haunted house. Okay. You said that Tali is toxic. I don't think anyone who's read this book is going to attribute a large amount of intellect to her. I'm not attributing intellect to any one of these characters just to be clear about that but okay that's entirely valid too (laughs) yeah moving on from the interpersonal relationships let's talk about the actual ghost horror story part of this so um she so cat when they first get to the mansion it's not really clear where like what they are it's all been phillips like orchestrated this whole surprise because this was talia's dream they apparently all used to go haunted house hunting together when they were younger Mm. um and it's talia's dream to get married in a haunted house so he like figures out how to get them into this house together and from like the first moment cat who's one of two people in the in the uh book that can speak japanese hears something she hears the ghost speaking um she then sees the ghost in the mirror and then she sees the ghost again and she lets the ghost at one point she's very much like i want the ghost to kill me they they're drinking they're lighting candles they're telling ghost stories and she tells the story of the house and kind of is telling the ghost like come get me Mm. come kill me and talia in her infinite drunken wisdom decides to run and gets possessed by the ghost comes back the talia comes in clearly something's wrong and it so cat's like hey guys something's wrong with talia and they're like no you're crazy you're stupid you're a bitch you're drunk follow her 
then she has that discussion with Lynn and is like, they were the, like, we're not leaving. They're the ones that were there for me. Um, She goes to find them and they're in the deceased bride's like wedding garments. And Philip's about to lead the ceremony. The two boys don't find this weird, like they're just going with it. And they're yelling at Kat for being drunk. And they're just going with the fact that Talia's just been like, no, we're going to get married now at midnight when we're drunk. I'm going to put on a dead girl's outfit and we're going to get married. No, there's no fighting her. They're just like, yeah, sure. This is a good idea. Kat's the bitch here. It's fine. Cue 30 minutes of them just shouting at each other being like, you don't have to be here. You don't have to be here. You don't have to be here. You shouldn't even be here. And it's like, why the fuck did you invite her? Why did you pay for a first class ticket to Japan for whatever undisclosed location you were at? She leaves and then Faiz is like, no, you're my best friend. I do want you here. And she's like, no, it's too much drama. And then it's like, oh wait, Tali is possessed by a ghost. And that's that's the big chunk of the ghost story is, is that scene. So for me, the way that I'm reading all of that is that, how do I explain this? In terms of like the actual ghost story, all that discussion, all that, like all of the, like all the, we're drunk, we're going to get married at midnight in like a dead girl's wedding gown. That is one of those things where I easily chop it up to like everyone's blasted. And when they're blasted, that's effectively just like all the emotions that they were trying to like keep underground or undercover are now all starting to come out. And I would easily believe that there are some dumbasses out there who are just kind of like, oh yeah, like she's she's wearing a dead girl's wedding dress. Like that's kind of creepy, but hell, why not? Let's just go along with it. Cause it doesn't matter. Like Lynn may be like the only person that is like actually acknowledging that something's fucked up here. But in the end, in the end, everyone's still going along with like, hell, like it's a, it's, it's late at night. It's a ghost story. This is what we used to do when we were kids anyway. So fuck it. Why not? Like that to me does not actually like strain credibility too much because again, I've known people who are just kind of like, hell yeah. Like I'll put on like someone's, I'll put on like someone's like a dead person's clothes or whatnot. I used to go quote unquote ghost hunting with guys who would intentionally do things that were supposed to like disturb the ghost because they wanted to see what would happen. And in some cases, something did happen. They were like, holy shit, we're not doing that again. But before then they were just like, yeah, let's just fuck around with it. See what happens. Um, Like I totally, totally believe that portion of it. And in terms of like, like the other part that doesn't strain credibility for me is that traditionally in ghost stories, what often happens is like the person who has the trauma, which in this case is clearly Kat, they're the person who actually is the one who understands the threat the most. And she was like, she was actively voicing whatever emotions were like present within her, which is that like, I want the ghost to come and kill me. I want this to be over because I'm really kind of sick of this shit. Um, and just leaving is not enough. Just leaving the environment is not enough. She's got to like leave life. Um, because if that's the way that she knows that all this crap is going to end, she doesn't have to deal with this anymore. She's not going to get like a random phone call. Be like, why, why the hell did you leave? Um, it's just like, that's it. We're done. Like I, I, like I'm, I'm out of, I'm out of the living world. I'm no longer dealing with your bullshit. Like, I can understand that. But then I, like, I could understand that what, like, that was why she wanted to tell the story. Right. Was she's mm-hmm. just surrounded by these people. And she's like, wow, I am like 
drunk enough to understand that I'm in a very toxic situation. I'm drunk enough to understand that my relationship with Lynn isn't healthy. I'm drunk enough to understand that like none of these people like care about me the way that I actually need to be cared about. Hmm. So I'm just going to call the ghost and hope that this is done. Hmm. But then the girl that she doesn't like is like, okay. And just like runs away and is scream, basically screaming at her being like, no, go fuck off. And she's got Lynn begging her to go fuck off. And this is, even if you want to say that this book was like about it in interpersonal relationships, like it wasn't really about the ghost. It was about them together, right? Yeah. You still have to understand that this, they are watching demons coming out from the walls. They're watching doors that didn't exist suddenly exist. They're watching pristine tatami mat suddenly decompose around them. And instead of, as everyone's begging them to do, getting the fuck out of Dodge, they're choosing this moment to say, well, actually, these are all the resentful things I've had about you for like the past eight years. And I would understand that if it was drunk, but like drunk logic is not logical. I I get that. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for that. I am annoyed that this book is a novella and is written and is like advertised as being a ghost story and half of the ghost story has nothing to do with the ghost and everything to do with them repeating back and forth to each other if you want to go go well I don't want to go because I want you to go with me but if you want to go go well you should go but you should go but you should go well fine I'll go you can't go it was redundant it was unnecessary while you also had these over-the-top lyrical analogies playing in her mind on top of it just for the sake of like in my head just for the sake of sounding smart and it didn't work for me it clearly worked for you i'm seeing other reviews where people are praising her like clearly this was just like this isn't just a me issue like other people agree with me it isn't just that you and like clearly people agree with you too but that was just so contrived and repetitive and unnecessary to me i just didn't like it I did not like how that was set up. That's valid. I can understand. I can understand not liking the repetitive nature of it. For me, what all that goes into is that the actual ghost is only half of the ghost story. The other side of it is also it's the ghost of whatever relationships these people had. They're still yeah. stuck with trying to maintain at least this facade to some degree of we're still friends, we still have a good relationship and all that stuff. When in reality, they're, it, they've all just decayed from the, they've all just like rotted from the inside. All these relationships have just rotted from the inside. And effectively, they're just like the manor that they're staying in. The manor outside yeah. looks pristine. On the inside, it's a fucking house of horrors, just like them, just like all of them. They have all become just bitter, and cold and cruel to each other they just didn't want to admit it beforehand now this is the point where they do and yeah and so, I, I yeah, yeah i think that that symbolism does come through and i think that that part does work mm -hmm. even if i don't like the way it was handled i think that part does make sense i think there were two other things in that scene that really did bother me and one was when faiz finally snapped at cat he started saying things like this is why like you never let anyone love you because of this that and the other and he like 
give whatever he says. I don't remember off the top of my head because again, it was an audiobook. I don't have the quote in front of me. Mm. But Faiz has this whole moment of explain of like basically yelling at Cat what her problem is, which I would have really enjoyed any context for. Like literally anything. I would love to know what he was talking about. I would mm-hmm. love to know what he meant, right? Because there yeah. was just nothing there to give me anything to like care about these people. The only thing I ca- the only thing that really came through to me was Faiz, for unknown reasons, cannot live without Talia, as he proves several times mm-hmm. violently. Yes. His relationship with Philip is built on a house of straw. And Lynn needs Kat to need him. Mm-hmm. Those are the only things that came through. Mm-hmm. None of that stuff had any context. And then the other thing was the ghost keeps saying part of a poem. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say where the poem came from. It doesn't say who wrote the poem. It doesn't yeah. say how she knew the poem. It's just two lines of a poem. And Kat just very conveniently at some point is like, repeats the poem to everyone else. And is like, oh, it's that. And they're just like, huh? And she's like, it's from a poem. And then it's dropped and it's never mentioned again of what that was. I just, I wanted to, I wanted to want to care. Yeah, that, that I can understand. And I I think that's also like one of the, the problems of, I liked how lyrical it was, but I also understand the problem because it was so sparse. Like it, it runs, it runs into the exact same problem that Hemingway sometimes runs into for me. Mm-hmm. which i mean overall like again i enjoyed the book i enjoyed like i enjoyed the general like spirit of the book as well and again i enjoyed the actual like i enjoyed a lot of the, like i actually enjoyed like a lot of the prose that was in it and then the spirit of it i really did enjoy i understand also the problems of how minimalistic it was and how sparse it was i understand the fact that because we are just kind of dropped in media rays here in the situation without like a lot of like larger explanation as to why some of these things exist i also understand some of that frustration to me that was not a deal breaker because the whole point of it was just showing how toxic everything had become and i firmly believe that if you're watching people in certain contexts you don't need to understand the entire history of their relationship to understand that they are toxic together. Like they are absolutely terrible for each other. I have like, there are people that I've met and people that I've seen where it's just very clear. It's like within like five, 10 minutes, you can understand it's like they're bad for each other, but they're still stuck together for whatever reason. That is what the book like came through as for me. It was the matter of looking at the fact that these people are bad for each other. They have somehow maintained some sort of a tie through guilt or shame or attraction for whatever fucking reason. Um, Convenience, because that's all you know. You've been friends for so long. That's just easy. Yeah. You stick with what you know. Exactly. But so. I mean, yeah, but you, this is the thing. I don't mind lyrical prose. I love Don DeLillo. I've made you read Don DeLillo. I like lyrical prose. I like lyrical prose when it has context. Mm-hmm. And this, I loved a lot of her imagery. I loved a lot of her 
synonyms and her and all that other stuff and like all of her metaphors and all the like illusionary language it just didn't make sense with the story that was being told to me it felt like two competing ideas for what it was supposed to be and then we get to the uh, not like sort of final act of the horror bit which was the, the uh, talia disappears mm-hmm. she's taken by the ghost mm-hmm. down below right and faiz literally starts clawing off his face mm-hmm. just being like i can't live without her i can't live without her i can't live without her and he's like we have to find a book okay lynn is the only person i respected in that scene for being like the fuck are you talking about lynn actually said fuck the appropriate amount of times and they're like we have to find a library we have to do this we have to do that because i think that's how it's gonna solve that i think that's, that's how you solve the problem yeah sure you have to like go and find the secret thing so then they go and find a library and faiz is convinced he reads something on a page everyone else is like the page is blank let it be a magical in my head i was like it's clearly like a magical otherworldly or like he's convinced himself deluded himself thing and then there was something about like the four kings the four pillars the four whatever and it ends so he literally is like mauling himself because it's uh it's blood so whatever page he reads is like we have to put things in the four pillars and it's blood, bone, semen, and organs. So he's like, I'll cut my own heart out. I'll cut my own heart out. And they're like, but you please stop, which kudos to them. And it basically ends with Faiz and Philip um, and Lynn saying, one of them's going to, like, you know what comes next. And Kat's like, yeah, one, like, in her mind is like, one of them's going to kill the other. Mm-hmm. And Philip breaks Faiz's nose. Faiz somehow has a knife, unbeknownst to anyone until that exact moment, and guts Philip like a fish. Mm-hmm. That was the that was the part to me that like illustrated the entire uh, the that was the part that illustrated to me the the whole the whole fragility of human relationships like that scene in particular was the part that illustrated to me like what this book was kind of getting at which is that in the end screw all the facade screw whatever you've said of like we're going to stick together we're going to do this people will sacrifice each other for what they perceive to be their predominant objective and the predominant goal and then pretend that's not what they meant to do exactly yeah pretend that wasn't their intent yeah i did like that that everyone could see in that room everyone could see that Faiz absolutely meant to kill philip yeah and then then they wanted to pretend afterwards like it that was just like it was just an odd occurrence it was just an accident accident. yeah Yeah, exactly it's it's a what was it it was uh donna tart the secret history like like dark academia like sort of novel it's 500 pages if you want to spend a month of your life reading it read it um it's a it's it's, not, it's a good book don't get me wrong i wouldn't read it again because it took so long um but it's it's, it's the exact same thing it's like the characters kill one of their friends in the book and then they spend the rest of the book trying to either justify it or not or like numb themselves to the fact that they did it 
and just become absolutely garbage human beings in the process. And the, the way this book ended where it's like everyone just kind of like sloughs it off and says like, oh no, they didn't like, he didn't mean to do that. When in reality, they know he did. And they keep lying to themselves afterwards. It's just the complete disintegration of whatever relationship they had after the fact. And it's like, this is the, like when Faiz kills Philip, that's just the severing of every single tie these people had with each other. Yeah. Which I firmly loved because that was what I thought the whole book was getting at, which is just that like these relationships cannot stand on their own. They're going to, like they are in the book, they literally kill each other because of the fact that it's like, we've had these resentments for how long and we've ultimately understood that each person's out for their own good. So tough luck. Sorry, Philip, you're, you're, you're going to get gutted. Yeah. Which I, that was the reason that I love the book so much is because of the fact that it illustrates relationships that are decaying from the inside out cannot be sustained and they shouldn't be because they're going to hurt everyone that's involved. Like the, the longer the, the dynamics between the five of them were the illustration to me of why it's not a bad thing and sometimes the healthiest thing in the world to just cut off relationships with people when it's very clear that you guys don't have, that people don't have each other's best interests at heart. If you no longer care about what happens to the other person, even if you're pretending that you do, even if you like, for example, like uh, Philip and Philip and Faiz, like they're still visiting Cat in the in the mental hospital. They are doing the actions that hourly would suggest they still care about her. In reality, they don't. They like it's 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 completely a facade. But they're carrying whether on they're this. visiting or whether they're just like emotionally there for her. It's never actually stated, but she's very much like they were there for me. They constantly like ask if she's okay. But anytime, and that's not to say that she genuinely like has their best at heart either. But when she has a genuine concern, and I do believe that, like in my interpretation, I believe it was a genuine concern about Philip and Faiz's relationship, mm-hmm. about Faiz's relationship with Talia, about these people that she cares about, just being like, are you? okay is this going to be okay and i'm not saying that her saying like you should hide your like feelings from whatever mm-hmm. was necessarily the healthiest option it was probably the best option in that moment but like all of these things i think it did come from a place of genuine concern mm-hmm. as she's just watching these things fall away mm-hmm. because she was inherently toxic too like she was in love with a married man who didn't give a shit about her mm-hmm. until it was convenient for him to give a shit about her mm-hmm. right yeah so I will, and I like, I am glad to hear that interpretation. It gives me a little bit more respect from the story hearing that because this was my, I'm really glad that someone else phrased this because I was just like in such frustration at the end of the book, but this was summarized again in a Goodreads review, how I kind of felt about it. Characters accuse other characters of acting like a protagonist. They casually destruct 
discuss the tropes of a ghost story. And at one point, the writer actually mentions that read a hundred books on horror, you'll find that every last one possesses at least one mention of someone's eyes gone strange, unfocused, and unsettling to witness. It is not clever, not thought-provoking, not grounding us in the scene. It is an ironic reflex, one in which the author is unable to escape, more preoccupied with slapping similes on each character's reaction than cultivating vulnerability, the slow drip of horror that the best authors of the genre do so well, or, you know, plot. So what is this book? A reality show-inspired novella, a satire of horror, a mashup of horror and self-effacing millennial ennui? What it is, really, is a writing prompt, a clever writer who is quite impressed with how clever she can be, shoving a list of vocabulary words and similes into the distorted form of a story. And I know that's very harsh, and maybe, but no, like, that was, when I walked away from that, when I finished that story, that is how I felt about it. I was incredibly frustrated. And as much as I think a lot of what you're talking about in terms of what the book was about, the relationship it was trying to discuss, the fact that they are literally just at the end of the story rotting like blackened teeth because of what has happened, I couldn't enjoy it because I was just so lost in a lack of context Mm -hmm. and redundancy as much as my argument right now is being redundant. Like, I wanted to like it so much more than I did. And Mm -hmm. I respect that you did. And I respect why you did. But you also disagree with me all the time. I also just very, like, I just don't. I, I the reasons why you like it are why I don't. No, that is perfectly valid. And that is actually one of the reasons I kind of suggested it because I was hoping that this might be the reaction we get. Um, But the thing, of it, the thing of it is also is that, like, I do wish there had been more of it. I legitimately, I, I legitimately wish there had been more of it because there are, I think in so many ways, she was, she was good to me, but, or they were good. I, I, think, I think the pronouns for this author are they, them, for some reason. I, I think I saw that somewhere. Um, they were good. They were. I did enjoy it. I wish there had been more. Because for me, it was over so quickly and so soon. And I like things that dissect the genre they're in. Like, it's one of the reasons I like Stephen Graham Jones. Um, not the only good Indians, but... Uh, chainsaw? Was it? Yeah, My Heart's a Chainsaw. That's it. Um, which is, like, literally has essays on, like, horror tropes in a horror novel. Which I enjoyed because, to me, I don't watch horror movies because I'm a wimp um but i enjoy things that analyze the exact same thing that they're doing like while they're doing it i enjoy the fact that people can look at something as they're doing it and explain why this is important i wish she had done more of that i would love it if she had made this into a novel that started off with them being friends it had flashbacks to them being friends it kind of like had the whole thing but and you can build the ghost story you can build like they had these haunted experiences before you can have that she's concerned that like ghosts from the past are following her you can build up but you also have that underlying toxic tension of why these people feel the need to be stuck together what has actually happened what are these like big events that have drawn them together and forced them to stay together And then you have this moment of like, you're in the haunted house, you're in the thing and you understand this isn't what that's about. This is the breaking point of the toxicity. This is that finally showing its face. 
yeah. into whatever. And you can handle that in nuance and you can handle that as people would still read that and think like, oh, this is a ghost story. Mm-hmm. But then you have the opportunity to really delve into what the story is actually about, which is toxic relationships. And it starts with the story of this woman who buries herself alive because she can't live without her husband and ends with her getting that husband in a I, gross way. Yeah. The So actually, now that you mentioned that, the the thing that this book actually did for me, aside from everything I've said before, it, shoot, what was it? It complimented a book I had read. It's actually the first horror book I ever read. Um, I was 12 years, 12, 13 years old. It was a book called House by Ted Dicker and Frank Peretti, um, which I will always say was one of the best horror stories I had read for I, one of the best horror stories I had read in my life with the exception of the last 20 or 30 pages um, because they, they made me a proselytizing piece of shit. Um, but it did exactly what you were talking about, which is it, it, had, it had like flashback, like basically it's, again, it's four, four people, four people stuck in a house that it moves, it shifts, it becomes something that they weren't expecting. And there is something that is haunting them and tracking them down and being willing to kill them um, and is willing to kill them. Um, and it plays on their relationships with each other and then also with uh, relationships with themselves, relationships with their past, relationships with each other. And it's it, it does exactly what you're talking about where it has like, it has flashbacks. It also plays on their own insecurities. Like it delves a lot more into the actual human beings that are trapped in this house that has literally become a maze where they cannot find their way out. They cannot see for shit. They are tormented by their memories. They are tormented by things that are present in the house. Like for example, in this in this story, they also have like mentions of yokai and things that are coming out of the walls. Um, it this book filled in that gap of like having all those things that I really really do enjoy because it it, it, it does like verge on psychological analysis, but it does, does it doesn't go far enough. That was my that was that's my biggest complaint about it. Like while I think it, I think it hit the target it was aiming for. I wish it had obliterated the target. I wish it had hit the bullseye and just shattered the entire thing. But in yeah, the because targets, like you know, they have different points. Yeah, as <laughs> yeah, as 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 you learned, as you learned on Sunday. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's it's one of those things of just I enjoyed it. I I understand why you didn't, and I res- and I respect that. And this has been a really fun conversation. I um, agree, and this is exactly what I wanted was to hear someone else with like an idea of more nuance and why they appreciate the nuance and what their they got out of the story Mm -hmm. right because for me it was kind of like reading um i had all those thoughts after uh thinking of ending things oh the one the one where you like you have to like yeah so it's like you have to read backwards until the ending and then it's like yeah no read it backwards and i was just like fuck you right like I would love to have a conversation with someone who did read it backwards and be like, what did you get out of it that I didn't get just reading it the first time, right? Like, what did you learn doing that? Um, So I appreciate doing this with you. I do, 
uh, nope. I'm just going to say, I appreciate having this discussion with you. I'm glad we got to have it. And like, because this is the thing we get, it's a proof that like different people can read the same book and get two completely different experiences. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like what I said on, um, over the weekend, uh, when I went to go visit you was having a book that gives you that visceral of a reaction, Mm -hmm. whether good or bad says something about the author. Yeah. Because we're, yeah. we're talking about it, right? Like we're talking about it. We have two very different points of view, mm-hmm. but I do hope that someone who's like, you know what? They had such an interesting, they each had their own take on it. I will go read that. Yeah. Right. Like I'd yeah. rather have that than just being like, it was okay. Like that's yeah. not a review either way. Be saying like, I hated this book so much. will make someone want to go read that fucking book. Right. Like that's a, visceral reaction yeah it's 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 the literary equivalent of a hate fuck i guess i don't know <gasps> on that note <laughs> <laughs> that's the title of the episode uh- <laughs> oh no i still like gorbatov's pizza Hut commercial but yeah. um on that note uh yeah i i think that's all yeah, yeah that, that's that's all i've got i'm looking forward to talking about so the next book that we have for book club is going to be hide by Kristen, Kristen white Kirsten White or Kristen White? Kirsten White? Kirsten White? Either way, it's K period White. Yeah, it's my name spelled differently, White. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm looking forward to having that discussion with you because what I've read of the book so far, I really, I have an idea where it's going. Maybe I'm completely, completely wrong. And if I am, then I'm really going to be excited to talk about with you because I, I think that it touches on a lot of things that we've had discussions about that I would, that kind of actually play into this. Um, a lot of this, yeah, here's the thing. I recommended that book because there are parts of that book that I love and parts of that book I hate. And yeah. I'm really curious if it aligns with you. And I didn't, so I did not recommend that book as us to read saying we're just going to gush over it the entire time. I did I recommend like, that book as being like, I think we can have a good discussion out of this about what was good, what was bad, what worked and what didn't. I think if I think if you were going to have a discussion, I think if you wanted to suggest a book that we would have gushed over, or at least you would have gushed over, um, you would have had us discuss "Haunted" by Chuck Palahniuk. Uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Haunted is literary trauma. It is. Yeah. It, in the meantime, uh, like, comment, subscribe, share this with your friends. Uh, Cassandra Call. Uh, I loved your book. Kirsten had a visceral reaction to it, which again is a compliment in both directions. I think um, you're a beautiful poet. Does that count? <laughs> I think I think I think it does count for something. Um, but that being said, again, like, comment, subscribe, share us uh, with your friends. Uh, if you have any work that you want to send us, that you want to send to us, that you want us to talk about as well, uh, darkwaterspodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, in all of the things. Looking forward to the next book club discussion. And in the meantime, folks, please always remember to look beneath the surface. Thank you, everybody. Bye, guys. Mm-hmm.